Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm really happy you're with us today. You know, as you know, I've spent half a century doing extensive research in a variety of fields, trying to better understand this reality as well as the reality that we enter at death, trying to figure out how it all fits together, and frankly, just trying to understand what everything is all about. And in doing this work of a lifetime, I've found the gospel words of Jesus to be an extremely important key, as you know. Of late, I've been given to understand that my role now is to teach what I've learned. There can be no joy for me that's greater than simply being here where I am right now with you and with these understandings and with the blessings of spirit to share with you all that I've learned in my life. But, you know, Jesus himself told us that there are many paths that lead to spiritual growth and a deeper walk with God. I had been led to avoid all those other paths while I was still learning and assembling what it was that I had been born to teach. But now Thomas, my primary guide, is leading me to look at and share some of these other ways to develop spiritually that might better resonate with you. Last week we looked at spiritism, which is remarkably similar to what I've learned independently. And this week we'll be roaming a bit farther afield. Humanity in our present form is about 200,000 years old, and civilization is maybe 6,000 years old, and Judaism, which I think is the oldest monotheistic religion that's still in continuous practice broadly, is about 3,500 years old. Then Jesus came just 2,000 years ago, really a minute ago, to teach the Jews of his day how to relate to God individually, which I've come to realize is a human craving that must go back for tens or even hundreds of thousands of years. So what were people doing way back then to try to better relate to the greater spiritual life that they likely could sense, just as we can sense it, that they likely really also craved, just as we crave it? What were they doing, and what can we learn from them now? Well, we have a guest with us today who can propose some fascinating answers to those questions. Dr. Betty J. Kovach has done extensive research that has been very different from mine, and that is a truly wonderful thing. Betty received her PhD from the University of California at Irvine in comparative literature and theory of symbolic mythic language, and then she taught literature, writing, and symbolic mythic language. We're going to learn more about that from her for 25 years. She served for many years as chair and program chair on the board of directors of the Jung Society of Claremont, California, and she sits on the board of directors of the, of the Forever Family Foundation. Uh, she speaks to national and global audiences through webinars, presentations, and media interviews. She's become quite a personage in this field, and she's the author of two books that are, I think, quite important. One is The Miracle of Death, There's Nothing But Life, but then there's her recent book, which to me is amazing, on the topic of spiritual seeking. It's called Merchants of Light, The Consciousness That Is Changing the World. Oh, how timely this book is for you and me. <laughs> Welcome, Betty. We're delighted to have you with us. Thank you so much. Now, tell us something about your personal history. I know you had some experiences, but you, here you are, this serious scholar. What 
made you become such a seeker? You know, that's always difficult to answer. It seems that I have done that all my life uh, without even realizing it. I can remember when I was a child in grade school, I can remember having experiences that I needed something, but I didn't know what it was. And then I thought, well, maybe it's a glass of water, but it was water. There was always that that longing for something uh, that I that I didn't know. Uh, but at any rate, uh, as I went to school, I I so wanted to know something more. There seemed to be a kind of emptiness or loss of something, and so I was always trying to find out what that could be. And I was in a Christian community. My parents weren't, but my brother and I always went to the church and had the best children's program. So I heard about. Uh, Christianity uh, in Sunday school, and I can still remember the wonderful stories about Jesus and the felt <laughs> uh, figures and the stories that were told. And my memory of him is that he was uh, a great mystic, although I wouldn't have used those words at that time. But I couldn't really believe in Christianity and the literal interpretations. So that then began my lifelong journey of really trying to find what is real? Yes. Well, so see, we've been, we've both been trying to find what was real, and we <laughs> both know. started with Christianity. So, yeah. Uh, but then you, you, I ended up going back and looking at the earliest spiritual practices. I, it never would have occurred to me to do that. So obviously, you were being led. You know, just as I was being led on my own track. Have you, just between you and me, have you had contact with your with your guides? Are you in contact with them, or are they working internally? I feel that, you know, we are all one. The universe is one. It's all yes. spirit. And yes. when it emerges into the physical world matter, it is also spirit. As Fred Allen Wolf, a physicist, said, yes. uh, matter is what spirit looks like in the physical universe. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah so actually, Einstein said that it, it's uh, nothing but energy, which is which is what consciousness is, of course, that um, whose vibration has been slowed enough that we can see it, which is another way of saying this. I love it. I love that way of saying it. So, I, yes, I for a long time, I didn't accept anything because I didn't have any real evidence, which for me would have have to be an inner experience of it, and I hoped an outer confirmation of it historically. I say in the book that what I was experiencing, I understood for myself, but I wanted to know what did my ancestors experience? Was it similar to mine? And that would help me to know the truth, I thought. So, uh, and I also then, uh, in the college where I taught, I started teaching mythology and symbolic language, and that really opened a lot for the students and for me. It was just one of those wonderful classes that the students that was in the counterculture days, the students just flocked to, and we just had a great time exploring and reading the mythology and, and discovering the mythic patterns that existed in every culture's mythology. So I knew that there was a blueprint uh, for our growth and development. And so with the students, I uh, studied those texts and discovered many things, but uh, it wasn't until I retired that I could really go full time into the research. But, so the answer to the question is, yes, I do feel that I work with the other side, but what really changed everything for me was uh, 
in the 90s, my uh, mother was killed in an automobile accident oh, instantly. I'm sorry. And one year later, at the very same time and the same day, my son was also uh, killed in an automobile accident. Oh, he was our, my word. He was our I'm only so child. Sorry. Oh, and I'm so sorry. Oh, my well, goodness. Two years later, my husband was killed in his native Hungary uh, uh, as well at, in an automobile accident. But after. I'll bet you stay away from cars now, right? No, I don't. Oh, I my don't. word. I'm so no, sorry. No, I don't. Well, thank you. But that was my destiny, I have to assume, because uh, when our son died, uh, my husband and I had incredible experiences with his consciousness after he died. And my husband was not interested so much in these things. I was, he respected my interests. I had gone to South America, worked with shamans. I, as I said, I taught mythology. I was always looking at these patterns and trying to, to find more, to dis experience more. Well, when our son died, we started having experiences with him and there was no question. Even my husband, I mean, he had a long vision with him not long after he died and he sat up on the bed and he said, I had no idea what you were talking about. I will never look at the earth in the same way again. Wow. And so he really became kind of a real anchor for me. But we had many, many experiences and our son, first of all, wanted us to know there is no death, I'm fine, everything is okay. And we began to realize that this was our destiny. We, we had agreed to this, that we had come yes. for a particular reason. I think yes. we all have a destiny. And uh, so then uh, after, he had, after we knew that very well, and we then he began to talk to us about what's going on on the earth. It's a very crucial time because yes. the earth is dying, but the earth is also trying to give birth to a new consciousness. And so those experiences changed me and I no longer had any doubt as I had had all my life, but I knew then, and that was gnosis. That's what I had wanted all my life. The actual knowing because it's in me. I didn't learn it from someone. I knew it because I had experienced it. And you you found when you went back 40,000 years, is that the earliest that you're finding communications that make sense to us? Well, it gets earlier and earlier. You know, oh my. Because it's at least 40,000 years BCE that the cave cultures existed yes. in Southern Europe. Yes. Um, but we now know that the sand bushmen in the Kalahari Desert in Africa, they were just right behind the cave cultures. But I think they probably weren't behind the cave cultures. I think that I will listen to what they say. They say they have been experiencing this cosmic consciousness for 60,000 years BCE. Now, we don't have archeological material uh, to support that, but we do have material to support certainly in the 30,000 BCE, the sand Bushmen were experiencing a vast consciousness. Now, we wouldn't know this if it weren't for uh, Bradford Keeney and his wife, Hilary Keeney. Uh, he had a vision when he was a young man and it just 
it just went on this flow of love and consciousness for hours and he didn't know what to do with it uh, so he went to MIT and then he got his doctor doctorate somewhere else and was teaching and had an invitation to go to Africa and before he left a few nights before he left traveled to Africa he had a, a vision in which in the dream he was told exactly where to go it even showed him a map and you know earlier I would have heard that and I I wouldn't have known what to do with it exactly but he, he did and uh, so he decided he would go and when he took a weekend from the college uh, in Africa and he went to the place that he was shown on the map he saw the sand bushmen come running across the desert to greet him and they said brother we have waited for you so long oh my word that gives me shivers that's amazing and now, he please well, go ahead well no, i was just going to make a point here which i think is kind of significant we're, t we're talking people who live in northern africa and people who live in southern europe and this is 40,000, 50, however many thousand years ago one thing many people don't know is that the people who who colonized um, Europe were actually East Africans. And there, there is very little genetic difference between East Africans and Europeans. We are essentially identical. The only difference is that about three, 4,000 years ago, um, the, the, the Africans who had gone into Europe lost the melanin in their skin, but there are skeletons of even British people from just a few thousand years ago where they had the, the gene for dark skin. I mean, it was mm -hmm. very, very recent. We lost it. There, there's a lot of genetic um, variation within Europe, within uh, Africa, but very little between those Bushmen probably and the people um, in, that were in doing the caves. So we're, that which leads me to ask you, was it a common kind of thing? Were the, were, were the stories similar between what was going on in Europe and what was hap happening in Northern Africa? Well, um, the Bushmen were in northern Africa for a while, and then they moved down into uh, more southern Africa. And the, the Bushmen have been murdered as a culture. There are very few that remain now, right. and they're in Namibia and uh, Botswana. But uh, they are thought to be the oldest, probably, people on the earth. And certainly, wow. uh, yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. And, and, and related to everybody else. I mean, what we really learn when we start doing this research is that we are one. That we are is one true. literally. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, but uh, they, what they, their stories are, of course, very much about nature and animals. But the same uh, great truths are told in those stories. And for instance, they have uh, dances. Their dances are like their stories. They have a dance for everything. And there is a dance for the little hunger and a dance for the great hunger. So the little hunger is what we have every day to survive. But right. the great hunger, of course, is the hunger you and I had all our lives. It's that hunger for a deeper meaning. Yes. So their stories circle around that. Oh, wow. Oh, that's beautiful. I just, I, I think of how so many others uh, around the world who've been detached from the older ancestors is that they don't, we haven't seen who they really are. For instance, the South African government 
sold its li last license to hunt the sand bushmen in 1936. They treated them. They, they treated them like animals to be hunted. They did, and they put their heads on a stick or oh, on a ball. Oh my lord! It really shows something about people who are not. Um, in contact or in touch with other parts of the world. These people, it turns out, that I learned through the Keenies, they stayed there, especially Bradford, stayed there over 20 years. And he achieved the ability to go into altered states of consciousness all the way to cosmic consciousness with them. And, uh, and they honored him eventually they gave out their teachings to the world through him and his wife because they knew he had experienced these things. And when anthropologists or archaeologists go around, they, they don't tell them really what they do. They talk to them like they were children who wouldn't yet know because they know right. that they won't understand. So, but, right. but Bradford did. And it's just, they dance. This is how they... This is the way they trigger that altered state, is that they dance, and they dance together. Uh, sometimes they can dance and sing for hours and hours and hours and then go into a, a, a state of consciousness. But the ones who are really skilled and know how to achieve cosmic consciousness, or what we call Christ consciousness, they do as a community, whereas in India, they meditate alone. And when they heard that, they laughed. They couldn't imagine someone being alone. And I, I really love that because it is yes. communal. And you know something else that they can do? They can manipulate this energy in such a way that they can make little arrows out of it and throw it to someone, and it will ignite this energy in them. Oh, you're kidding. I've never heard of that. Wow. And, you know, I think the cave cultures had that too because I have seen images on the, on the walls of the caves with people with arrows in them. And so I think that they, they might have learned it from, from the sand bushmen uh, or the sand learned it from them, but I rather think it's the other way around. So what we're really looking at is that at least 40,000 years BCE, maybe 60, the human species knew that the universe is one vast consciousness. We are universal consciousness, which our quantum physicists are now discovering. We right. are it. Like, right. and, and so they discovered that and were able to experience it. But then we lost it. Now, and, you, uh, you, you talk about that some. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you, you talk about what, what we've lost in the West. And... Um, the worldview of the West and how dead it is. Now, I say, when, when we're uh, having these conversations, uh, everyone else say to you that, um, you know, scientists have a, a, a dogma of imperialism, and that's, and, and basically they've had it more for more than 100 years, and it really goes back to Plato and Aristotle. If you, if you look at the history, for a long time, everything had to be material, um, when in fact we now know there's no such thing as matter to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you, you've Speak about it in a different way. So why don't you talk about that, which really the same distinction I've been, been making here. Yeah. Well, what, what's the worldview of the West, and, and how did we go so wrong? Oh, that's a very important story. Uh, let me just as briefly as I can say that 
from 40,000 or 60,000 BCE, these ancestors, and I think many around the world, knew how to enter into an, uh, a universal state. And then they knew how to come back with and have the mind that we need for day-to-day -day living. Uh, right. And this, the megalithic that comes after this very early period that I talk about, we know that they were great builders. You know, these big stone structures. Yes. All, now we know they're all around the world. They were considered great builders and builders were considered initiates into the great feminine dimension of the soul. But they, uh, so they, we don't know enough about them yet, but we do know that. And then there was the old European culture, it was called. Uh, Maria Gembutas was uh, an archeologist that discovered this culture. I knew her and she was at UCLA and she did so much research until she finally, she said the images became clear to her. But during that time, there was, there was also uh, that uh, ritual of going inward. And this is what I wanna to emphasize too. From the beginning, it was a going inward. It was known that you have you go inward. It wasn't a teaching you something. That's the whole shaman, yes. mystic, and in some cases scientist worldview. So we have then from the Upper Paleolithic, the cave culture, the sand, and then the megalithic. Then the old European. It's pretty much in Eastern Europe goes into Russia. They one thing we know about them is that they had a, a ritual of going inward, and the labyrinth was a very famous, perhaps the dominant. Uh, symbol uh, for that old European culture. And of course, uh, what they did was they circled, they would go, it would be like going around and around and around until they got to the center. And when they got to the center, they knew that they experienced themselves, the self, not as other, but as self. So they yes. knew from the beginning, we're all divine. Yes. We're all divine and we're immortal and we are creators. And I, I didn't have a full understanding of being creators until I had one time an, a, an experience with like the earth mother came to me in a form of a grandmother and she sang to me to create your worlds to keep me well. Create your worlds to keep me well. And I realized later how important that we know who we are, that yes. we are immortal, that we are all divine, we're all the same stuff, we're divine, and that we must create, we must take that responsibility and all co-create the world together. Uh, so I, that was uh, their spirituality. Wow. Now, Egyptian, so much more is known about the Egyptian culture uh, now than just, uh, 40 years ago, because so many of the artifacts are now available that weren't available earlier. I am so profoundly impressed with the depths of their rituals to reach altered states of consciousness. Uh, for example, the Pharaoh in one of the rituals, he goes to death and he must confront, he must know how to confront death completely in order to be whole and well and creative, which he was uh, the symbol of a creative culture. But the, the ritual is very, I would say complicated and detailed, but, and then on and on with all kinds of things in life that 
rituals are absolutely detailed and, and the male and the female are both honored. So it was very clear in our early ancestors history that we are the creators, we're divine and we are immortal and we need to know that in order to create the kinds of worlds that are worthy of the divine. Then comes Judaism. Of course, it's influenced by the Egyptian culture. Not, yeah, the Egyptian culture. But yes. the first temple, I, I have to say Margaret Barker, a wonderful scholar who has done a lot of work with this. And the first temple Judaism uh, was a shaman mystic tradition. It was go in. They, they had techniques for experiencing the visionary world, which is our way of experiencing spirit. And then in 621 BCE, it changed. It was like a huge change in Judaism. And the first temple, the, they had beautiful wisdom literature and honored the feminine as well as the masculine because Yahweh first was, had a consort who was wisdom and together they created the world. And it was a very different spirituality because yes. they did rely on the inner vision and in 621 the deuteronomist no one knows where they came from but they wrote themselves into history by throwing out the feminine burning yes. down her groves getting rid of her wisdom literature that literature is in some of the christian texts today but many jews didn't like it so what was being done so they took that information to egypt and others uh, were even in babylon later and they later that wisdom knowledge emerged in Europe as the Kabbalah. But uh, the only reason I want to really emphasize this is that it was in Judaism that the first temple mystic shaman tradition was destroyed. And then it became the law and a fierce God uh, that, had, you know, I always thought when I was growing up, that was so strange to say, vengeance is mine, stay at the Lord. And I thought, okay. why in the world would we have a Lord who wanted right. vengeance? But right. it was a very, sort of a violent, tribal, very different kind of God. Now, yes. what I think is so exciting is that there's a lot of evidence now to know that Christianity was the Judaic attempt to bring back that shaman mystic tradition and oh. Jesus. Well, and, yes, clearly the teachings of Jesus are exactly that. They are spiritual and inward and relating to God directly. But what we're saying, we're talking about something that some people are wondering about. So why don't we explain it? When you talk about having these mystic experiences and the cosmic or Christ consciousness, what are you talking about? Oh, well, that's a good question, yes. <clears throat> we didn't know anything about that, most of us. No. Uh, then in... Uh, Walt Whitman, the American poet Walt Whitman, had a doctor, uh, Richard Maurice Bach. He was a Canadian doctor. And he spent one evening uh, talking about poetry with his friends. And on the way home, he was in the carriage. He thought the city in front of him was on fire. And then he realized, oh, this light was coming from within him. <laughs> now, in that moment, he said, he said, I have no idea how long it lasts, maybe seconds. He didn't know, but he said, I was changed forever. That he said, in that moment, I knew I was immortal. I knew we all live forever. Consciousness is eternal. And that there will be a time when we will all experience this consciousness and be able to live in it. 
uh, it was just the most flowing with love, love and light consciousness. He simply knew that all was right and that we would all find this consciousness eventually. Different cultures explain it a little bit differently, but those who experience that, it's always light, it's love, and they know the, that we are eternal and that we're divine and that we are creative. And this is what our ancestors wanted to give us. For instance, before um, the Deuteronomist who, who made this great change, there were many seals and symbols of the tree, the tree of yes. life with the fruit. And if you ate of the fruit, you would experience this cosmic consciousness. And the gods were taking us to it and showing us the fruit and telling us to eat it uh, because it was our destiny to become conscious. And, and that's why it was such a, a dreadful thing with the Deuteronomist that, that they had God telling us, you know, remain unconscious, don't eat of the fruit of knowledge. Right. And everything that followed as a result of it was exactly the opposite of the universal model for how we grow and develop. Yes. And we have been plagued with that model for a long time. And the thing is that the teachings of Jesus are meant to supplant that. I think there's a lot of evidence in the Gospels, and I just use the four canonical Gospels. That's what my spiritual instruction has been. Um, there's a lot of evidence that he actually came to do away with these, these religious sort of um, narrow traditions where, uh, you know, the, the, the priest or the, the minister or whoever it is is the one we have to listen to, and we're basically sheep. Um, we don't uh, relate to God on our own. We have to do it in a group. And um, he came to teach us how to relate to God on our own. Once we relate to God on our own, and where enough of us are doing that, we can together bring the kingdom of God on earth, which is what he said, and it is true. So I, that's, just, that, that's just another way of saying the same kinds of things you're saying. It, it is. And the thing that was so exciting about Margaret Parker's research is that the people who remembered that shaman mystic tradition of Judaism knew that they wanted to bring back that knowledge to people and they brought it back through Jesus. And, you know, even the early church fathers didn't know where these gospels quite came from. But I discovered that there, you know, the Essenes, there were many Jews in the whole Palestinian area but also there was a group called the Therapeutae, and they, they could well be a group that had mystics, and Jesus may have been a part of it, or that could be a name for the mystics of that group. But certainly we do know that there were, there were those at that time, and so we can say Jesus was one at that time, who did achieve that... Uh, great spiritual consciousness and wanted to teach others about it so that we didn't just uh, take words, conscious words from someone else, but that we experienced it. And so then, of course, when it was pulled into, became Christianity, the Jews didn't have so much to do with it. But uh, I think it's just wonderful to know that there were really serious groups of mystics at that time and we know that they existed because we have the teachings, uh, Jesus' teachings. And I don't know how many, I don't know 
uh, how many achieved that in that group, or if it was just Jesus, or if that was a symbolic name. But we know there were those who did, at least one, you know. Yes. And he, he definitely wanted people to know. So they, these Jews wanted to bring back that ancient 40, 60,000 year in the Egyptian, wanted to bring back what was our native tradition, that was what spirituality was, the shamanistic, is that you learn how to go within. There are no, there's no doctrine. You simply experience it, and you know. Yes. And you know, it was a, uh, I think some of the research that was done, as I say in my book, the 20th century brought forth many, the knowledge of many of these cultures that we didn't really know existed in that way, and that this is our natural way is to go within to experience this vast universal consciousness that we all are and uh, it, it's too in a way it's a, a kind of sad thing that the deuteronomist put us on a path of uh, i think uh, it's tragic I, tra I, I do yes i do i do agree that it's tragic but i also think things don't happen they, they happen for a reason it may be so that we can make even greater discoveries going forward i just don't know but i yeah i uh, that that was one thing in your book that really bothered me, but it makes a lot of sense. It explains a lot about Judaism that I had had trouble with, so it was very really enlightening. Now, you you in your I always ask people, everyone I always I always ask um, authors for questions that they might especially enjoy answering. And you you gave me two questions. I just have to make sure I ask. What is the top negative story that we've been told by, about ourselves in Western culture? Now, and that's precisely one of them that I would want to relate is that this, uh, this act by the Deuteronomist, whoever they were, to completely flip wrong side out the, the blueprint of our evolution and say that we are not to become conscious, we are to only obey something outside ourselves, and that the male and female are not equal, the woman is uh, subordinate to the male, and the cursing of nature, and on and on. All we have to do is go to yes. the Genesis and see that story. Yes, of totally. All of the term, we were, the woman is cursed in childbirth, and the man in his labor with the earth, and that we go back to dust, we're not immortal. It was a complete lie. Everything it. in it is exactly the opposite. And what right. does that do for, for the human being, the self-conscious, the, the self-awareness, and you know, the fall of man, that didn't exist. It, and you know, when you see the paintings of the tree with this horrible serpent, which is actually the spiritual kundalini energy. And I just gave a, a, a talk not long ago showing the beautiful images of the tree with the divine leading people to the tree to eat, to become knowledgeable. You eat it, it's within you. And uh, then, of course, we all know the story later, what, how dreadful Eve is reduced right. to a right. sinner. And actually, the tree is the feminine dimension of the divine, the one that Yahweh was once married to. But she always gave the fruit. She always gave it. She wasn't sinning when she did that. And uh, there are so many wonderful images from Egypt of the tree as the woman giving this, this food to everyone who seeks it. You know, that's the true story. 
And Ezra, uh, what, what is the top positive story that you've been to, we've been told about ourselves in Western culture? What is the that, top? You, we, the, the question you gave that I could ask was, what is the top positive story? Oh, we've positive. Been told? Yes. Well, I think it was a story that existed for thousands of years in the cave cultures with the sand. And I think all around the world, various people uh, discovered how to achieve that consciousness. I think that was a positive story. I think the Jews attempted to reclaim it in Jesus. And uh, certainly since then, there have been many people who have, have understood that there's something more than this very negative story that we were told. Uh, but I want to say just one thing about the negative story. When uh, the Roman church began, unfortunately, it, con it continued the destruction of the myth because right. it took the Jesus teachings, but it said, he's not inside you, he's outside you. And of right. course, you can never have that consciousness outside you. And so this was the just great distortion of the Christian myth is that, that, and exactly what I think Jesus came to correct so then yes. I teach that too. <laughs> we teach the same things just using different language isn't it yes. amazing and wonderful yes and i think too that the next really truly great false story that happened was also because of this inverted myth and the power of the roman church because in you know once these were lost again this shamanistic mystic way of life once that was lost, people were always seeking it, trying to find it. And uh, so there was, and I have in the book, there were five Renaissance periods in Europe, five Renaissance periods. One of them was 1600. And there was this reawakening again of this particular tradition of going inward and the, and the feminine or the soul as real. And so there was, at that time, it was very scientific too, because there was, uh, pe there were people from all the way from London, all the way to the old uh, uh, Prague, and they were all working on this, discovering you can go inward and what is consciousness like, and there were engineers and scientists of all kind. Well, some of them got themselves killed, because the church did not want this inner knowledge known. No, no, and that's they didn't right. understand. Sometimes they didn't understand. It's been a rough time. No, we've oh, talked about the history of Christianity, which is covered in blood. It's terrible. It, but it's so sad. I, I just want to make sure we, we get to know what the Camelot Center is. Am I saying that right? Because that's what publishes your work. It is. And but let me just finish this because it's the other part of the negative story. And then I will surely go to that. Is that <laughs> they were scientists and they were doing a lot. But the church tried to stop it. It tried to close down everything. Right. Right. kill the people involved in it. Then there was a 30 years war and there was such chaos and confusion. The people who were the early scientists of that period, because they had existed before, they sort of tucked tail and got out of uh, the known areas. And in 1660, when the Royal Society for Science uh, was established, many of those scientists were a part of this a group that studied the inner spirit as well. But when that society started, they all knew that they could study nothing but matter. They could not study oh, consciousness yes. or the soul, the spirit, yes. otherwise they'd be killed. This is the other, it's sort of the ripple effect of that first uh, negative story because what did they give us? Finally, they forgot probably the later ones that there was anything else other than matter. We got yes. one of the most tragic stories ever is that 
There's nothing but matter. We are a flute. There's no meaning, no purpose. When you're dead, you're dead. And we lived with that for 300 years, and we're still caught in it to a degree. Well, and that's the other <laughs> negative story. <laughs> you and I are going to be fighting that for sure, but there are others too. I think our name is really legion at this point. There are so many who have independently come to the same wonderful conclusions. And as we work together, I really think I really think it's going to work. But let's talk. Now the, 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 the what does, yeah, tell me what it means. What does the name mean? And let me just read to everyone quickly. Um, its description of itself is that it's aimed at changing the way we look at death. It was founded in 2002 as a publishing company and a teaching center, and it confronts the belief that there is nothing but matter, that death is the end of everything, and embraces a new worldview, that there is nothing but life. Now, that's, uh, that summarizes what I teach, too, so I have to say we're, we're doing the same thing, but talk, yeah, talk listen, a about it. I listened to some interviews of you, and I thought, oh, my goodness, we're on the same page for yes, sure. Spirit spirits. Isn't it wonderful? So well, what, what, what does the center do, and what does well, Come Like mean? Well, uh, I, yes, Come Like, it's kind of interesting. First of all, it was founded by my friend Kim, who uh, she had actually years ago been a student in my class at the college, and she was it's, we just sort of realized that we must have made an agreement on the other side to do this work. Yes, of course because, she did. Yeah. So it, it is a center that teaches the things that we have experienced. And the name, when she was trying to find a name for the publishing company, we'd get one and then it, it already was taken. And I had gone to, um, to Russia, uh, to uh, Siberia, to Altai, uh, and I had a vision that I was to take some of my husband's ashes and my son's ashes there. My husband is actually Hungarian, so he was actually earlier, the, Hung the Magyars came from near Altai. And I had a vision that I was to take some of their ashes back. And the name of the place that I ended up was Kamblak. And so oh. I said, <laughs> and they say there, they told me, this is a place where the old shamans gathered, and there was even an opening in the sky. To the, well, you know, that's the stories when there are shamans working. When you're working in matter, you open up uh, yes. the contact with the dimensions. So anyway, I said to Kim, well, let's try Kumlock. And so no one had that. And then uh, a few mornings later, I woke, I woke, and a voice said to me, look at the name. It's Ka, K-A. It's like you're breathing out and ak at the end, ak, you're bringing in. And what is in the center? And I looked at ML. Well, that's Merchants of Light. And my husband and I had had, after our son died, uh, a lot of visions with Merchants of Light. And they, I talk about that in the book. It's, um, they actually come at a time when the earth is going through a, a very difficult death and we hope rebirth and they always come to work with us when there is that kind of time and when I looked at it, I saw oh we just sort of said let's try that and it was yes. exactly the name we were supposed to have <laughs> isn't that wonderful I'm that's a great story and it's it's k-a-n-l-a-k dot com and I recommend everyone, I recommend you visit it, um, visit the site because uh, both of her books are there and there's, there are other things there that are interesting to read. But what, what to me is wonderful 
Betty, is that we are basically teaching precisely the same thing. Yeah. And what, the way you teach it will, re, will resonate with some people. The way I teach it will resonate with some people. But it's all the same truth. It we, is. We never talked till today, for heaven's sake. So <laughs> no. it's not like we shared any of it. Well, when I listen to you, you know, I, of course, because uh, I was in Christianity growing up, and it, it nurtured me. And I went to a college that was a Christian college. I studied Christianity, the Old Testament, New Testament, life of Jesus, and so on. My professors were wonderful. They were very wise people, good teachers, and I could not have gone to a better place for me. Uh, but when I left the college, I still could not believe it in the way that the outer teachings of Christianity would, yes, would yes. have me do. But I loved those people, and my time there was, I was very nurtured. And as, in fact, I even went back uh, and did another degree in American studies because I got a, a scholarship for that, and I didn't have any money at the time. But I had a dream just before I was finishing, and I knew that that dream uh, meant that I owed my allegiance to this feminine being who appeared. There was both the male deity and the female deity, and they both were creatively working together, but I knew that soul was reflected in the feminine, and I wanted to know more about that, but it was as though I, I got that guiding just as I was about to, to leave that place, which I've always loved. I still am grateful to it, so Christianity was in, you know, it was it had a very warm place in my heart as well as yours. We could probably talk all day. Uh, we've come to the end of our time, though. We're going to have to wrap it up. And um, I think we're going to have to talk again because quite a bit of your book I never even got to. And we'll, we'll, we'll figure out how to take a slightly different tack and do this again in six that months or so. Be but, wonderful because we've had several periods in which this ancient shamanic Jesus, shamanic teaching emerged. And I talk about those five periods. The fifth one is right now. And I think there are things we can all do to help give birth to this, this vast consciousness that we are. So, so we have to be working together on this. All of us, everyone listening. Yes. Is part, if you're listening, you're part of this process. And it's the most That's wonderful right. way to spend your life you could possibly have. But meanwhile, big hug, my dear. I'm so glad to meet <laughs> you. You too, Roberta. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very grateful. And I so enjoyed meeting you. Yes, this is this is fun, and we're going to have a lot more fun, everyone. We're only just beginning this process, but meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so glad you could be with us today. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, and you never will end. And when you really get that, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be all the way from the UK, Sue Brain. Sue is another of John Beecher's wonderful Wet Crow Books authors, and she's someone else whose guides are making her aware of the worldwide effort being conducted at the highest levels of reality to elevate the consciousness of this planet. Her response to the urge to help with this effort has been to do research and then teach spirituality, death, and dying. And her new book is called Living Fully, Dying Consciously, The Path to Spiritual Well-Being. Sue is very into this. She also hosts a blog that focuses on how to live consciously for a better world and a Facebook community page with the same title. 
frankly, isn't it beautiful to see how many people are feeling, feeling led to do their own parts in this, and we're all coming together now. So please, please join us next week and meet another lovely human being who is sharing our journey. And this week, our wonderful guest has been Dr. Betty J. Kovach. Betty is the author of Merchants of Light, The Consciousness That Is Changing the World, and I recommend her book highly. I found it fascinating because she's felt called to assist with the elevation of the consciousness of this planet by going way back and showing us that this has been a primary human movement ever since we've almost since we first stood upright the first truly human beings were 200,000 years ago and that this is this is extraordinary we're part of of this movement through endless time Mm-hmm. She's done a lot of wonderful hard work for us and made it easy for us to kind of put it all together. We, what we've learned from the Jesus of the Gospels is nothing new. He's bringing to us again what people were doing a long time ago. Uh, this is a time when our relationship with the genuine God is coming to a whole different level. And we can be, we can all be part of it. And we're all being called to be part of it, and it's the most exciting work we can possibly do. So, you know, let's let's all of us keep working together. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and very soon, The Fun of Loving Jesus. I keep promising this. I'm sorry. We just haven't gotten to focus on it yet. The fun of loving Jesus, embracing the Christianity that Jesus taught. The fun of growing with Jesus is going to come out shortly, and it'll join the fun of meeting Jesus. Both are beautifully illustrated children's books. And, of course, all my books are available on Amazon.com and through bookstores, too, and the adult books are audiobooks as well. If you want to talk to me about anything, if you want to contact me, you can always contact me through the contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email. Just please be sure to make sure I have your right address. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net and in a whole lot of other places. And everyone, please, above all, remember that you are part of a great movement which is happening all over the earth now. Our name is Legion. Each of us is doing it in our own way. So listen to your internal guidance. I think you'll be astonished and delighted and thrilled to see the kind of part you're being called to play. Meanwhile... This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy. Please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in the entire universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.